Hello everyone and welcome back to the MTG Novels Project 0.4. We'll continue our reading with The Color of Magic, edited by Jess LeBeau. However, I want to give a quick shout out to Coach at the Car Bazaar YouTube for the idea and inspiration. Check the comments for links to his first few audiobooks. Um, I believe he's done the first three novels. However, full disclosure, I've had a speech impediment earlier in life, which I've tried my best to overcome. I also apologize if you find my voice nasally or otherwise dislike it. I'm trying my best to provide you with the best content I'm able to provide. However, with this being said, I'd love to hear constructive feedback, which connects pronunciation if you, or provides other realistic feedback that can improve the project. A legal note. This is an unofficial audiobook with original content belonging to Wizards of the Coast. This content is covered under the 2017 Wizards of the Coast fan content policy. Listen discretion is advised. Black, the symbol of death and despair, can be characterized as morbid, impatient, and incorporeal, and stagnant. It is a color of pollution and pestilent, festering swamps. Those who show fondness for this color are not the type to show off. They will impress those worthy of their time by their real substance and weight. Black leans on the side of mystery and darkness, but can be the mighty and dignified. Black is a star-colored, the beaking of nothingness. But those who favor this color abhor inevitability. They would hold to the present forever if they could, and they will probably try. Black is for those who hide their darker sides behind an air of sophistication, for those who lurk in alleyways and dark corners, and those willing to pay the price for greatness. Our first and only story in black is Dark Water, by Vance Moore. Teva walked from the stone hut, the morning crisp and cool with a light dust of dew. She stretched her back and heard the creak of aging bones and poor bedding. She called over her shoulder in a raspy voice began, had, that had begun to shrill with age. Loria, I'm going to check the birds. <laughs> Sorry. Usually Tava checked the pigeon later in the morning but some of the cage birds had looked unwell the day before. She coughed in the cool air as she tried to clear the dust and smoke of the night's fire from her throat. Nerving herself to face the day and unwrapping the greasy shawl from her shoulders, Teva threw it into the dark doorway behind her. She just missed the tangling the feet of her cousin. Loria exited and tilted her face to the sun, burning through the morning haze. Her features were finer, more delicate, than those of Teva. She wore dull rags, but they hung neatly, and while patches and crude stitching formed some of the smock, there were no actual holes. She held a wooden comb in her left hand and rubbed her eyes. Turning back to the hut, she picked up a crude buck bucket with her free hand. The hut the two women had exited was small and poorly thatched. The walls were of irregular Rocks and turf the pair had cut years before. While the smoke from the stoked fire oozed through the roof, the dry weather had allowed repairs to the roof and walls to be delayed, and impaired more ruin than residence. The hovel laid on the shore of a new lake. The water clear and cold in the morning light. The doorway looked out at bare, eroded hills in the distance, rather than the water close at hand. 
The cousins cared little for what they saw. Teva walked to the back of the hut, and Loria continued to the lake's edge and filled the bucket with water. She began wetting and combing her hair to look her best for the coming day. Teva sighed as she considered how pathetic Loria's morning routine appeared. The careful and complete beauty preparations of their use reduced this to a soapless water, soapless wash in cold water. Teva moved to the dove cot set behind the hut. The building was backed with carefully cut fitted stone, and the roof and three walls were a woven lattice of wicker and pieces of wood. The wood was in the form of barrel staves, bought at great costs for two poverty-stricken women. The cot, though weathered and aged, was far better than the near ruin the women inhabited. Teva swept the ground with her eyes as she stood by the cot. As carefully maintained as crusted and constructed as the building was, she still feared it would be raided, but as usual, there were no tracks other than her own. She opened the door and quickly stepped through to prevent any birds from exiting. The pigeons nested in open racks in which are cages. The birds were quiet. She could only hear the soft cooing and occasional movement. Occasionally, when she renewed the feed dispenser, a, a swirl of birds would envelop her. But now she radiated stillness. The birds looked at her without expectation. Teva peered through the dappled light and saw that one of the pigeons had died in the night. She immediately took the small cage from its mounting and carried it to the entrance of the cot. There by the door stood a ball barrel feed and behind it a potty vessel of herbal oil. A large crock of oil rested behind the back of the dove cot, but she kept a smaller vessel inside for quick use. Gathering up the bottle and two basket-like cages, she returned to where the dead bird lay. Teva poured the herbal oil over the straw and hay on the floor of the cot, and doused the hook from which the cage had hung. The oil was to control and cloak whatever disease might have killed the bird. Then, with tender hands, she gathered the immediate members of his brood and gently transferred the torpid birds to the traveling cages. She could identify the family relationship among the birds with the same surety that in Aiken's past, she would have known the names and particulars of her own social circle. She passed the baskets and the dead bird out of the cot and took them behind the stone backing of the building. Kneeling behind the large crock, she moved the cap and brought out the dead pigeon, a male in the prime of his life when it died, and immersed it in the oil. She began to croon strange off-key melodies. Her care in rubbing the oil into the feathers of the bird and her odd reverence would not have been out of place in internment of a king. After its oil bath, Teva carried the avian course, corpse and the basket of pigeons to the slough, only a hundred feet away. An offshoot of the lake, the slough was an aberration in the surrounding country, a pustulant green in the surrounding pastels. It drew and fas fascinated the eye. Nothing disturbed its surface, surface, and no insects flew over its stagnant waters. She arranged the cages around a patch of packed earth and placed the live birds near the water. The dead bird she lifted from the cage and carefully positioned it to form the tip of a triangle in relation to the live birds, the point facing away from the water. Teva stooped and cupped a handful of water from the slough, then straight with difficulty and poured it over the still bird. The water left a coating of decay on her hand, and only with a conscious effort did she re refrain from wiping it clean. 
Drawing a single deep breath, she knelt at the end of the water with closed eyes. Her tensor, tension and breath eased out of her in sustained exhalation until she leapt forward, totally empty. Suddenly, Tava's head snapped back and trembled ripples across her body. A grimace swept her visage, emotions unknown and incomprehensible, trying to express themselves. Her hands jerked and potted her sides. The birds called in fear and tried to flee. When Tava's hands finally grasped the basket, the birds attacked her fingers. Any pain she might have felt was swept away by something else. As she lifted the birds over the still water and then plunged them through the surface. The cages submerged only halfway, slowed by strange, worried plants hidden in the water. A blast of stents came from the disturbed water that blinded Teva, and tears poured from her eyes. The birds beat the water with their wings and pecked at Teva. The wicker work each other and even the water, but their movements grew more feeble by the second, and Teva kept pushing the baskets down. The pigeons were laboring and dying, pulling down one by one, and if some s small animal was inside the basket with them, Teva forced one cage beneath the surface completely and had to use both hands to push the other down. Only one bird was left. It attacked her fingers as she forced her hands beyond the roiling surface. She nearly fell in as more tremors shook her and then sat back on her heels hard. She shuddered and shook her head as though dislodging flies. Teva heard the rustle of the damp feathers behind her. The dead bird preened itself and looked at the small of her back with one dull eye. A slow, great smile spread over her face, and she clapped her bleeding, scarred hands together and groaned with pressure and pleasure and remembrance of better days. Teva and Loria reclined on cushions piled along the wall. Though the room was in a basement, it had been carefully decorated to suggest freedom. The walls and ceiling were covered in swaths of clothes, cloth that gave the room the appearance of a great tent. A thick layer of sand covered what should have been a muddy floor, and good drainage kept it dry. Vents from a hollow cost drove a continuous stream of hot air over everything. Despite the warmth, brazier sat in every corner, burning great blocks of incense, throwing streamers of smoke into the air. Loria and, and Teva took no notice of their surroundings. Their eyes were steady on the woman in the center of the room. She was old and worn, her, her dress that of a household servant. Her eyes were wide and staring into oblivion. She stood upright, but her head moved in a irregular circle as she swayed. Come in, Uncle Brokius, Loria called. Teva and Loria both were wore flowing clothes that matched the cushions on which they reclined. The man pushed through the hanging cloth, missed them initially because they blended so well to their habitat. He rubbed his art vigorously when inside, as though scraping away webbing. This is ridiculous. Why have I been kept waiting? You should have greeted me the moment I arrived. His upper body was covered by goosebumps, and he masked his disquiet with offended dignity. And why are we meeting down here? You should receive guests properly. He turned to look for a seat, but no chairs were set for him. He found the notion of reclining on the floor like his nieces distasteful. He elected to stand over them. May we ask why you are here today, uncle? Loria questioned. 
tilting her head only enough to keep him in the corner of her eye. You know very well. I've come to talk some sense into you. I can't imagine why no one else in the family hasn't done so. Busus's arms waved and punched to lend emphasis to his diatribe. Have this woman dismiss herself immediately. You have always lacked imagination, Uncle, Lori replied. Surely you recognized old Tamaya. She has been a nurse to two generations of her family. She's practically family herself. Although all this, Tamaya swayed and stared at nothing. Brucius was livid that his order should be refused, and that she should was considered relevant to a servant. He roughly grabs the old woman's shoulder and hurled her to the side. She fell like a tree and made no attempt to catch herself. I have helped this family great when other families in the nation had fallen to advancing glaciers. You're an investment in the future, Loria. I won't have you destroying your value in the company of this spinster. You will leave this house. He turned to Teva. This girl was a dark and cold in a land where those qualities were abundant, and she had enjoyed few suitors. You return control of this house to me, he began to storm, but the word crashed against something in his throat. Teva was, plas was a placid pool, except for one hand that trembled with tension. Brucius felt that tension on his throat and was frozen. He could not even struggle to continue. Teva held him with something much stronger than just her hand. He stared out of a body that was completely severed from him. He could hear Loria rising behind him, and she whispered in her ear, You seem very quiet, uncle. Did you run out of orders to give? Loria dragged one fingertip down his neck, and it burned. But even a whimper was behind him. You cannot command us. No one can command us. We are greater than you. We are greater than anyone. Loria moved to a corner of his vision, and her face shook with intensity. Show him, Teva. Show him why no one gives us orders. Teva raised both hands. Uh, Brucius turned a half-step and showed Oteva standing up, still looking at nothing with a knife in her hands. His throat was not blocked anymore, and he cried out, Stop! Don't hurt me! I'll do anything! He was gasping per breath, and he tried to run without his halt. Tamaya raised the knife and stepped within a single pace of him. Her eyes finally seemed to focus, and she looked right into his. Time my Tamaya spoke, but her voice was young. Brucius recognized it as Tav Taiva's. Loria was right. You have no imagination at all. Tamaya raised the knife to her own wrinkled neck and cut a wide red smile. Brucius screamed anew as Tamaya stood, looked him in his eye, blood pouring down her body. Suddenly Brucius felt relief as Teva's grip on him loosened, and he had to give back control of his frame. Tamaya collapsed, and he ran from the room. The crash of furniture overturned by his fight faded, only when he reached the outside door. Both cousins had fallen at the same time as the co corpse of Tamaya. Loria was the first to stand, despite that pain that knotted her muscles. By the gods, why did you do that, Teva? She demanded as she reached desperately for wine to dull her pain. We... We were nearly done with Uncle. And why did you let Tamaya expire so soon? I didn't allow anything to happen, Teva explained as she too rose and then reached for wine. She was even more unsteady than her cousin, and she cursed the decision that left this room without any chairs. 
I didn't know what happened. More screams sounded throughout the house. Teva reached down to Maya's cooling body and wrenched the knife from her dead hand. Loria squared her shoulders and gestured to the open door. We need to find out what's happening. Ebenezer should still be in the west wing. The pair climbed the wooden staircase up into the rest of the house. Ebenezer had appeared as a refugee from some mysterious struggle in the cell. He had been destitute in need of a patron. Teva had been delighted to provide him with the use of her own home. He became her tutor in the arts of sacrifice and control. Within a year, the board elite of the city had congealed around Teva and Ebenezer. Things were done in the night that soon had the city whispering, rites that turned most away except for a core of true devotees. Teva had introduced Loria into this dark world. The cousins gained power that freed them from any need to conform or obey the rules of society or their families. Soon they dominated the group and most of their compatriots in darkness had been sacrificed to feed their hunger for power. Loria ignored her, fan to the, her branch of the family and moved in with her older cousin. If a servant vanished, well, times were hard and uncertain. Surely things whispered in the night of terror of night could not happen when considered in daylight. Teva and Loria reveled in their abilities. Now they wanted answers about what curbed their power. It was madness they saw as they moved to the wet wings. Body of servants formerly under control, sprawled over floors, some in repose of death, while others writhed in mindless agony. A young maid, a recent victim grasped within the past month, ran in circles in the center of the sitting room. At the sight of the cousins, her orbit contracted, and she moved to the back of the room as if driven by the wind. Her impact with a cabinet smashed wool, and she fell, a broken bag of bones. Loria was attacked by a page as they transversed the main hall. The young boy had run at her with arms flapping, an ungainly bird returning to the falconer. His hands were boneless flappers, swanning at Loria while she covered her face with her arms. The boy whispered with re relief as Teva plunged her knife several times into his side. Ebenezer was mumbling and rocking when they forced his inner sanctum. Books and abragas were piled high on tables throughout the room, and in a dissecting tray held a large rat still leaking blood. Ebenezer had obviously been interrupted in the practice of his craft. The air of darkness, the aura of darkness and energy that had pervaded this room was replaced by the sour stench of suffering and death. Both cousins felt disgust that one whose power had so impressed them should be bought so low. What happened, Ebenezer? Loria demanded as she grabbed the head of the kneeling man. Her hands fell a spark of something, and she took him harder. Why did we lose power? Why are the servants free? Don't know, don't know. Felt some great power. Swept over me. Swept it all away. Ebenezer tore his head free and began to sob and wail. Teva circled the room, examining what her mentor had brought into the house. Anything that was valuable and easy to sell, she fingered with speculative air. Ask him if the power will turn, she urged her cousin. Ask him what we can do. Lorius stooped beside him and spoke with more urgency, as she realized that her victims were free and that Uncle Brucius had escaped with his mind nearly intact. Do you have anything left? Any spirits to call on? Will our power ever reappear? Each question caused Ebenezer to shiver, and Loria felt hope slide away. What I knew is gone. I don't know when 
or if anything will turn. I tasted the spirit before it's torn away. I got it in my mouth, and it sings to me. It's singing now, he muttered, and still blanked at the floor. Teva looked at Loria, crouching with her hands on the madman, and clapped softly to gain her attention. What now? Teva said. Loria only took second suicide. We can't stay in the city. The family will have to give us up after what Uncle saw. I don't know if we'll ever get back what we lost. Ebenezer is useless. Something is in him. But we might never extract it. Loria just to the constant of the rooms. Find whatever is valuable. Pack it up quickly. We must be on the road within an hour. I'll return to our rooms and get our valuables and some traveling clothes. Loria rose to her feet and trod to their quarters. Taver was alone with the madman. Sherry knew what it would take, but she walked slowly over to the oblivious sorcerer and laid her hand, if in bitter addition, on the brow of the former mentor. The cousins fled the city into a sudden thaw. The roads were mud, and their spirits fell even as a few of their victims recovered and roused the city behind them. Teva and Loria fled north, with the head of Ebenezer rotting in a leather bag at the bottom of their luggage. Loria cursed quietly and continuously as she knelt into the mire of the lake, edge, looking for tubers. The lake was clear and a sandy bottom for most of its bank, but into one pocket at the edge of the glacier action had pushed topsoil. Similar pockets of dirt were deposited all over the country, but most were barren and gullied by spring rains. Plants had grown in this holly during the late summer and fall, changed by events that shook the world 20 years before. It had adapted to the inundation of spring. The dense roofs and tubers were hard as seasoned wood, and when water came, they protected themselves from rot with the excretion of slime and a network of thin, frothy rootlets. Standing bare-legged in the cold water, Laurie was digging tubers that felt like stone and smelled like wet manure. Teva was visible in the difference as Loria stood erect to throw the roots up on the shore. The older woman was returning with the basket she had hauled to the coal pit. The walk was over broken gullies, but it had the advantage of warming limbs that would be numb from cold from standing in the water. Loria was cold and miserable and hated Teva with the feeble ferocity that miserable have. Teva stumbled and dragged the basket through the dirt, kicking the filthy cane work with more gob gobs of crumbly mud. Keep it out of the dirt, Teva. Loria still had energy to cover the cousin. I'm not going to help you or wait for you if you muck that up. Teva's response was an obscene gesture that did more to show her lack of energy than her irritation with her cousin. Loria stooped down and tried her best to wash her hands and legs clean. At best, she would get most of the muck off, but soon would replace it with dust on the path to the brewing site. Taver arrived and began filling the basket with the modules. I'm getting tired of doing this, she remarked, and hurled one root as hard as she could into the basket. The only result was a dull thud. Teva nodded her fists and opened them in exaggerated relaxation. We were both meant for better things, but what power we have is here, Loria responded. She kicked the basket in resignation and sighed as it flipped over the wet soil. She bent over and swore again as her back protested. Treva tried to rest by levering her arms against her legs, but found no comfort. She watched her cousin parring at the ground like a tired, ineffectual animal. Loria stood up and saw Teva's look of faint disgust as she noticed a figure coming alongside the lakeside trail. The cousin straightened and tried to assume a veneer of amity 
It was a poor showing, poor showing, but the quality of their approaching audience alleviated the need for a fine performance. Winton was his name. He was a hunter of waterfowl who tramped through the network of lakes and streams that crisscrossed the raw landscape. He had an eager expression on the coarse, full features as he recognized the coven. Cousins. Teva was older, grayer, and filthy in her dress of pearly cured hide. Loria was the better looking of the pair and well-groomed for someone working in the water and the mud. Winton knew them only as the authors of a brew made from the stinking nodules they were gathering. A brew known for its savage potency and almost lethal hangovers. His eagerness faded as he hit the fetid air from the raw roots. Quite a smell, Labor, he called. Hard to imagine you make your ambrosia from that refuge. Winton kept his difference, distance, but tried to be as friendly as possible. She shifted on his feet and the two small bolas strung through his belt clacked against each other. The man hunted waterfowl for money. He was a dab hand with a sling, but his bol bolas were sure weapons in an uncertain light. He cast them as the birds startled, and he sold the ones he caught on the road the next day. The sling and the stoles at the back of his belt he used against rabbits and targets in trees. He was an old and eager customer for the cousin's brew. I wouldn't mind trading for a pot of comfort, he said, clasping the head to the brightly dyed bolas, the stones red and blue and green. Three birds or five rabbits delivered to your door. Teva drew a breath to bargain, but Laura preempted her. I hope you attempt a pot as a gift, she drawled, and reached toward Winston with open hand. She tried to sound seductive, but a breathless delivery to one so considered a clod sounded silly to her cousin's ears. Bring a brace of whatever you have to our hut, and we'll celebrate together. Winton looked puzzled. What holiday is this? He asked. Living alone, he often lost track of time. We are celebrating being alive, Laura replied. She tried for a sultry air, but only achieved petulance. Teva coughed to cover a mere spirited knee, but Winter saw everything through a veneer of loneliness, and any indication of interest was enough to set the hook. I will return tonight, my dear, he said, as he turned and dramatically bounded a few steps before settling into his characteristic slouch. Laura motioned for silence until he was out of hearing. Taylor compiled and then policed the area, gathering their rude tools. Cousin, you'd better practice deception more often. You are painfully insincere. Tava chided. She hoisted the basket and motioned with her chin that Laura was to set it on her back. He's coming, isn't he? He'll be panting when he shows up, too. Laura settled the straps to minimize the chance of blisters or welts. So what are we going to do with him? asked Tarva. Aren't you feeling tired? We're going to kill him, of course. And with that, Loria started out to the hills with her cousin, matter-of-factly following in behind her. Kill him, yes. But where? And how to use the death? Taylor inquired. But she stumbled and caught her balance with difficulty, then continued. Destroy his mind and use him up here? Corrupt his spirit and send him out for revenge? The path was brighter now and showed hard work on the path part of someone. Rock steps had been built on a few of the steeper paths of the trail, 
with bushes planted strategically to cover the improvements. The path dropped through a cut to screen walkers from observation. The cousins arrived at the brewing pits, the Prussians back to a hillside. Surrounded by brush, the place was distant from their hut, but close to a seam of dirty brown coal that broke to the surface like a great whale. Teva levered chunks and slabs into the basket. Then, with Laureate at the other side, she looked to the fire where rocks heaped in the coals served as heating stones. Laurie adjusted around the site as Teva threw more coal into the fire. The tinker from the road. We got three weeks of labor out of him. The improvements on the path and deeper pits that held the brewing equipment had all been done by a traveler the pair had caught on the main road. We could use Winston to expand here, make her drive the well deeper. We had to bury the tinker too soon for a decent job. Tarva was now moving more rocks into the pit to heat. The timber's course lay buried under the fire pit and was baked by the flames above. Teva used a great pair of tongs to lift the rocks already heated into one of the trio of dugout logs hauled long distance from their felling place. The heat was boiling the collected roots to remove the watertight covering of slime. The, covered, the covering, besides being unpalatable, was poisonous and would kill the customers too fast if it were allowed to remain. Lawyer went to the shallow well and drew a bucket of water. She dumped it into the log and watched the runoff of poison flow down a sandy ditch the tinker had dug. Teva had finished transferring the heat stones and stood leaning on the tongs. It'd be nice to have someone else to do the scut work up here. Our energy is low, and there are my flock of birds to sustain. Each bird I make takes more power, and rushes less. We feed the water, or we'll have trouble. When they arrived years before, Ebenezer's head had gone into the water behind the hut, rotting away. The head had released a spirit that gave him a taste of true power and glory again. But the harder they worked, the spirit, the more it demanded. Setting waterfowl were suckled beneath the waters. Even though the cousins did nothing, better pay was required on occasion. We need a death, but how to kill him? Teva asked as she went to the second dugout log. It was empty. A basket roof beside it. The roofs had been steeped and heated so long they were comparatively soft. A tall and hollow stump, wrapped in wire, served the companions as a mortar as they ground the root to pulp. Knifing him is too messy, Laura stated as she mentioned, motioned Teva to help her lift the metal tipped section of log. The, teb, the dead tinker had molded the metal to the wood. The metal had come from one of the killing machines of Mishra, and Laura found it ironic that such a piece of dark history should continue to be used in the creation of death and deception. The log was her pestle, and both gripped the peg handles in unison, lofting it, letting its weight and narrow point crush the roots inside the hollow stump. Beating him to death is too much like work, Teva voiced in time to their work. We could smother him when he's drunk, Laurie replied, as she bent to remove pulp and add more roots. The proxic the toxic boo not only made murder easier, but its trade brought mo needed money as well as the joy of knowing that people were dying from its commutatively lethal effects. Tedious waiting for him to pass out. Perhaps we, we need him in the water, Tavis said. I'm not going to carry him. She drew dead flowers into the second log, 
their decaying seeds would start the brewing process and add a narcotic kick. It is accidental drowning while drunk then. Loria crossed to the third log and examined the mixture. I was nearing completion. It was nearing completion. Just one more step before the straining and bottling. It's ready for the special spice. Teva chucked in amusement as she walked to the sealed pot she'd brought from home. Opening it, she looked down at a rotting bird. Its eyes were fallen in and its feathers and flesh were tattered shreds. The bottom of the pot was swimming in preserving oil, but the blast of odor was a wet slap in the face. Even in their already choked and polluted air, the bird twisted and tried to stand, but could not do so on its broken legs. It was one of Taiva's spies who had decayed too much to be of any use. Taiva took the body in her hands and shuffled back to the third log. She knelt in the mud and squelching in the foul overflow from the brewing process. Her hand slowly juggled the pig pigeon as its liquefying flesh threatened to come apart in her hand. She cleared her mind and focused on the dank water behind their hut. She could feel its uncertain currents and taste in her mind. The real wood faded into her vision as her hands contracted into fists with a wet pop. She breathed foulness and dreamed. When she came to herself, Loria was straining the now loathsome contents of the third log into the series of cheap pots. Tava's arms were black with gore to the elbows. She was laying in the mud and toxic runoff. The roots in their various stages of brewing smelled like a rendering plant, and a haze of choking smoke from the burning coal settled only over everything. It was beautiful. Winton whistled as he picked his way to the cousin's house. He had slept through the late afternoon as was his habit, and hunted birds in the early evening, since the birds settled and were easier targets in the early morning and at twilight. He had caught two wildfowl in quick succession. His cast had startled the birds in the shallow water, and he had wrapped up a pair of birds in a small bolas. The third bird was a large crane of some sort. That one had almost fallen away with his bola before Winston crashed through the reeds and wrung its neck. It was large and beautiful, and Winston believed it was carrying good luck to Teva and Loria's hut. The only sound note of the day had been his last cast. He had missed the bird completely and heard a large crack immediately thereafter. He had searched through the water for the blight color of the bolas. One weight had broken on a lake rock and was throwing the balance of the weapon off. That stroke of bad luck was lost in the canvas of fantasy as he painted in the mind, the mighty hunter returning to his adoring woman. The meat he had brought down buying their adulation and respect. It was such a pretty picture that he imagined Loria's poor acting as merely badly suppressed passion. Yes, he said aloud to the world, that one is yours for the taking. Just a dash of charm, and in Teva's love will be yours as well. He distracted himself with romantic delusion as he tramped through the twilight and saw the full moon rising over the horizon. He could see the hot and flickering light of a candle through the open door, a good trade candle instead of a firelight or homemade fat lamps. He made himself a noble guest at the sight of this extravagance. He announced his arrival with a shout and strode to the door. Here I am, ladies, with this feast and my company. We'll have fine diming. He stood in his stained and odorous clothes. His legs when the knee down were splattered with mud, and his shirt was wet with sweat and water from the birds he had killed. He hauled his catch over his shoulders and handed it to Teva, looking past her to find Loria. 
Lori was dressed in her best. Her clothes were patched with cloth of nearly the same color as the original fabric. Lori had groomed carefully. Her hair was the cleanest thing in the room. Thank you for your contribution, sir. Come have a cup and tell us the news, Lori replied grandly. Meanwhile, Tava was examining Winton's prized crane. She saw a bird with mud on its feathers and malformed legs. She plucked it and sectioned it, placing gobs of meat on the skewer over the fire. Her dress, irregularly patched but well-fitting, was carefully dyed and was of one color. Unfortunately, the color was a, was a muddy gray-green that vanished into the background. Each time she returned to the conversation, she noticed Winston was puffed up and boist more boistful than ever. Winton was perched on a stool and hunched over the table. The poor state of the furniture gave his self-important dialogue a nervous edge as he tried surreptitiously to keep weight off the stool. When his elbows left the table in an extravagant gesture, he hurried past, he hurriedly put them back down. The mayor of Cade himself asked me for the news of the road. Wanted to know if I'd heard anything about the unrest down south. I get all the news on the road, Winton said as he picked at the gob of meat Taiva had placed before him. Cade was a small sentiment Taya knew of that actually had a name. Only one ignorant of the world found it of any note. And what did you tell him? Laurie asked, as if to give him another full glass of brew and a wink. She stoked, was stoking him well as he would stroke the dinner fire, slowly feeding it until it was just right. Winton took a large gulp of brew. It was rough as a cob and as strong as a winter store, but it was the best that he'd ever tasted. I told him of the trouble all through the south. All you hear are the tales of marching and treasure. Laurie listened with some interest. Even a blind guide will sometimes find a trail, she thought. You hear so many things, but I am hungry. How about some more meat? Winton was feeling light-handed. Maybe a fuller study would fuller stomach would anchor him. Teva had been basting and seasoning meat from Winston's crane. Finally it was meat was cooked to her satisfaction. Winton ate everything before him. The screw of the crane meat went to his plate alone, and he never thought to share. Lawyer pressed him a strong dink, drink, but in truth, she had hard put to keep his cup full. Teva watched and said nothing. I heard that the ice fields are still retreating to the north. We live in a better world every day, Winton proclaimed. The cousins thought of it, of the luxury and power they'd enjoyed years before, and were silent. The woman ate from one of the waterfowl, and only moistened their lips as Winton drowned Great draughts of liquor. He was a bore and a glutton, but no expression of displeasure ever crossed their faces. The bird catcher was finally in such a state that Loria decided it was time. Winton cleared a table of food and sat blearily looking at the cousins. What now, he asked, and let go a great belch. Why, let's go fishing, Loria said brightly, and winked at the drunken man. Why, what a marvelous idea, Winton explained most to his feet. He thrust himself up, and using his hands against the table. The cups and clay plates slid to the floor, but he was too drunk to notice. Take my hand, Winton, Loria simpered, and he reached for it as he retreated through the door. Teva had to hold his shoulders to steer him from the hut. 
went in stubbled as he was led out into the night. The moon was bright, but the landscape lacked detail to catch the eye. The guv cot was a den of darkness, and the slow was a metal in the background. Come, Winton, night fishing is fun. We've caught many in the night, Lawyer claimed coquishly. Coquetchily? Anyway. She was ghostly in the moonlight, drawing him after her with drawing him after her with her voice. Teva was holding his right arm, keeping him orientated toward Loria. Teva's feet instinctively drifted to the center of the narrow path, and Winton became to tri trip and lurch as he was forced to the side. Winton's mind was cloudy, and he wondered if there was a still romantic game being played by the cousins. The dovecot was a mass of darkness, and Winton shook his head in its dark shadow. And how do you catch them? he joked. With clever lines? Winton was breathing deeply and leaned on the wo woven lattice of wood and wicker. It groaned loudly. The pigeon called briefly at the noise. Tega dragged them on his right arm. With this, we speared them. Tava brandished a large skewer with a barbed point with her free arm. Winton thought it was a hilarious prop, for it was sort too short to be an effective spear. He, giggled, he giggled and stumbled even more. Loria drifted closer and Winton laughed and lurched against Tava. I'll fish out the lake, he boasted, and listed so heavily that Loria had to slip her left arm to keep him walking. The cousins pushed from either side to quicken the pace. They were almost to the water of the slough, and both were running out of patience. Winton tried to grab a barb from Tava. Give it to me, and I'll show you how to use it. You'll get it, Tava started and slipped beneath his arm and behind him. To Winston's sight, she had disappeared, and he began to grope Loria in belief that they were alone. They stepped into the water, and its chill and sudden foul odor shocked him. The bottom mud and the weeds clung to him, even as Laura led him deeper into the water with glape splashes. His, his head began to clear as the stench crowded out the drunkenness. Far enough, Loria said in a cold voice, and ducked out of his arms. Rippers from his clumsiness stopped, and the, uh, and the still water converged on him. Kegva kicked behind Winston's knees, and he fell face first into the water. Winton tried to break his fall, but hit the water with a large slap. His lungs emptied from the force of his fall, and he paddocked as his hands were caught in the treacherous mud. The water was relatively shallow, but Winton couldn't free himself. By arching his back, he could keep his head above the water. He became rocking violently from side to side. Each motion enveloped him in even more foulness, and he was nearly blind in the polluted air. Loria was kneeling in the water to his side. Her hands held flat to the surface of the slough, and the water whirled below beneath them. Wintem's struggle irritated her. She looked on the gasping hunter with distrust. Teva, Loria commanded, and Winton felt a great weight behind his shoulders. Each time his head broke the water, Teva forced it back down beneath the surface. Now Winton could not lift his head at all. His struggles peaked, and then he moved no more. Liquid forced itself into his mouth and nose and down into his lungs. Everything in his body, energy, will, courage, everything but awareness, drained into the water. It crushed him, and when nothing more could be squeezed out, he flowed to the top. Teva finished him up and put him in a deep spot. Lorius sounded tired but replete, as if a fine dessert had been devoured. 
She stood and teetered as drunkly as Wilton had minced before, then retreated to the hut. Winton felt pressure and tearing as Taysom forced him to deeper water. She ran the skewer through his chest and abdomen. Lawyer returned from the house, still weaving from the aftermath of what they had done. She carried Winton's bullet wrapped over one arm and a sack of dirty crockery. We need to erase any sign that he was here tonight. Scrub these clean after we finish up here. Loria, directed as she was, set the dishes on the ground. Tava only grunted and pierced the hunter through one final time. Then wrapped the bowls over his wrist, then turned him face up. Water and scum oozed down his countenance, and one last bit of air burbled out of his lips. The cousins were waist deep in the water. The slew was going icy cold. Tava's teeth were chattering, and she muttered peevishly, Why did you get the best part? Loria laughed. You can still get the last taste. I received enough for now. They both trotted the lance over his legs to his feet and began the last ritual. Hold him. They chanted and forced his legs to the bottom. The deadlings caught, and the mud began to pour him down. Devour him, Tava Kroon as only Winston's head showed above the surface. Obliterate him, she finished, and felt a whiff of warmth course through her. Whatever remained of Winton vanished beneath the water. Then, oops. The next day, the cousins rested. They were seed, sated with power and dreams, grounded with desires and dark hungers. They accomplished nothing till late evening, when Loria broke the contented silence that surrounded them. Do you think there's more unrest to the self than usual? It's been long since we really paid much attention. Maybe that fool hunter had something sensible before he died. Laura stretched out her legs, reveling in the suppleness that Wilton's death had girt girded her. I could call in the flocks, Tavo replied, but we'd need them all to get a clear picture. The dead pigeons that she sent out into the world were excellent spies, and recorder of events, but they did not return unless called. The act of hearing rep their reports destroyed every trace of power left in their corpses, and Teva then had to create more spies from her limited stock of birds. Each spy cost a sacrifice of several pigeons, so Teva rarely called on her creatures, often little more than tattered skeletons as of her call. Why, we should listen to the words of an escaped idiot me Oh, sorry, why we should listen to the words of an idiot escapes me. Tavia was too content to compliment action. Because I feel ambitious, disaster and fighting breed opportunity, Laurie replied. She was restless and nearly danced with suppressed energy. Call in everything. Something wonderful is happening. I know it. Tavia reluctantly acquiesced and walked to the dovecot. Laurie's enthusiasm did not fire her. There, but there might be profit in a new course of action. Calling in her birds was easy enough, and no great sacrifice. Teva entered the cot and looked over her flock. She knew exactly which bird to use. The pigeon was the most closely related to all that she had sent out, and blood calls blood. She saw in a corner cage, and grassly, softly grasped it in her hands. At first unsettled, the burn soon calmed and began to coo. 
Taba carefully exited the cot and turned to the slough. The bird was completely lulled when she approached the dank water. A knife she brought from the house darted to the bird, and its blood covered her hand. She dropped the knife to the dust and squeezed all she could from the body. She one flung one cup palm to the sky and shrieked as a bird. The blood from her hand arced high and fell as uneven rain over the foul water. The surface frosted and then settled with red droplets vanishing into the depths. Though the imperative went out that instant, birds would not wing home until night. Carrion birds knew they were dead, and flights of crows would fall upon the rotten flesh if the, flies fl if the spies flew by day. Tavia returned and sat at their small table. They are coming, but I don't know how we'll place them all. Laura finished the last of the meat from their murderous feast the night before, set nets and lines, and used flocks of wild birds. Our power can such flutter now. It is time to forgo the ties of blood and relation. She nibbled at the greasy meat delicately, her daintiness out of place in the polluted and narrow hut. It's time for bigger and bolder actions. We're moldering away in this sty. She kicks bitely at the crude furniture. Remember our former house? Queens of creation we were, and the freedom. Servants to dispose of the math, mess and find new subjects. Only the best and richest victims to share. Those were grand times. We're grown too small to remember them. Loria looked into the more prosperous past and ached with longing. The two cousins wove nightmares of the past and the future, delighted in their darkness. Well, what do you hear, Loria? Loria asked as she rubbed her hands to hide her excitement. Tavia worked behind the stone wall of the dovecot and tilted her head into a gust of clean air. The shade of the cot in proximity to the water could have made her comfortable, but her work prevented much relief. The birds had returned during the night, and Tava had been taking the reports most of the day. The heat and proximity of so many animated rotten bodies created a cloud of stench that nearly drove her to distraction. Loria had walked on the lakeshore, wrapped in dreams of good fortune, while Tava completed the filthy work. She was also tired from having to soothe the living birds. The dead pigeons had settled in the baskets and crates, set around the dovecot, the focus of their former lives. The return of the delve relatives brought joy to, brought the living birds no joy. The pigeons had finally settled in exhaustion, and Tava knew stress would kill several more before the end of the day. Interesting news, Tava replied to Laura's quarry. Winton was right. The self is racked by plague, and that is spreading like wildfire. The druids can't touch it, and the leaders are desperate. Tava called another pigeon it and watched it fly from the group concealed in an overturned basket. She had separated the rival into several groups and was processing them. The pigeon had no eyes, but still it regarded Tava and Loria intently, shifting its stance as its focus changed from one to the other. Tava riveted attention as it set her shoulders and raised her arm. One hand pointed to the bird, and the other reached out for the slough. The bird's flesh corrupted and liquefied in an instant, and all it had known since its rebirth slanted to Tava's mind. Loria ignored her cousin. The morning had gone, and she had seen the ceremony too many times. She poured the last of the herbal oil over the dissolving bones, throwing handfuls of grey ash over it. The resulting cloud covered the whole back of the cot and a large circle of ground. Loria choked until it cleared. But Teva sat 
and digested what she had learned in perfect stillness. It's a treasure hunt, she said abruptly. There are rumors of secreted power. The birds saw armies marching in search of it, and this one even saw a map purporting to give its location. Power is in just sitting there while collecting the while collections of timid fools wait for orders. This is something we could grasp for ourselves. Tavra spoke with rising excitement, and her gestures became broader. The prospect of power washed the, filth, the surrounding filth from her mind. Laura listened. We'll beat them to it. True power. No more birds or simpering plots. To be done with isolation at last. She was exultant, and her near shout of joy tweaked her bones with pain, and she thought of what travel would mean. She rose and walked to the hut. No security, no sacrifice for power, nothing I can't carry with me, Lloyd muttered and looked around. The hut was rude, and all the decent things had disappeared long ago. There was a small amount of coin, carefully gathered from successful vis victims, but little else of value. Laurie went to the side of the door jam and dug her cash out from the hiding place, a pot sealed in the round earth floor. The bag was distressingly light. She watched her cousin checking out the pigeons and saw an old woman who had led little to the journey and split resources. So many had died at her hands. The choice wasn't hard. Teva, kill the best birds and bring them for pie, she shouted. We're leaving tomorrow and we'll have the best before you go. She turned to to begin making crusts and plaids for dinner, and for tomorrow's lonely journey. The meal that night was successful. The cousins took the last of the good wine from the hiding place and served in fleshy wasp cups. Loria had carefully seasoned the food and maintained a separation between what she and Tavia ate. Loria was the perfect hostess, fetching each course and topping each cup. I wonder how warm it is in the south. It's been so long since we left here, I can hardly remember how it was. Not that my memories will be any use after 20 years of retreating ice, she said, as she gave the last of the wine to Teva and nudged the servings of food closer to her cousin. Laura had never po poisoned someone familiar with toxins and felt some trepidation. Each course, each utensil that Teva used was lightly poisoned. If she grew suspicious and switched food or silverware with Laura, the plan would still go forward. Teva's indigestion of such small doses of poison would have a fatal effect. The poison was distilled from the cousin's brew and was without taste. Eventually, Teva would fall to its influence and die. Teva grew slightly more passage, her mind watering. Lord decided to assolate the process, had some brew, dear cousin, she coaxed, and poured the vintage that Winton had enjoyed into a brace of cups. It's not good, but it's all we have for now. She watched Teva take the cup and drink deeply. Teva motioned for more, but her eyes were dull in the evening light, and her movements muted. Plenty more for us both, Loria said expansively, and filled Teva's cup to the brim while ignoring her own. Teva again drank deeply, and all signs of her intelligence faded away. Loria found the situation delicious, so sad that I... We are leaving tomorrow, she said maliciously. There were good times here, she considered the squalor around her. Well, not too good. She reached to fill Teva's cup, but she was thwarted by her cousin's uncoordinated attempt to pass it to her. It fell to the floor and broke. Teva looked at the shard of 
pottery with an expression of deep grief. Loria felt a shrill, flushed, wicked pleasure. It was time for the kill. She needed her cousin at the slough for maximum effectiveness, and walking her there would be impossible if she ate or drank anything more. Tava looked unfit to sit up, much less walk to her doom. Let's look on the waterland last time, Loria conjoled. Tomorrow we'll be gone, and never see it again. We shall say goodbye after all. Tava nodded in blurred agreement and rose unsteadily. Loria rose and tottered to the door with feigned drunkenness. She had never acted so well. The two women weaved and blummed up the path to the slough. Loria felt her gorge rise as they passed the dovecot in the stink of the decomposing pigeons. Tava actually leaned against the stone wall and breathed deeply. Loria feared that her cousin might stop there, but Tava collected herself and continued to the dark water. The darkness of the wife gathered in the far water, and Warrior worried that Tava would become suspicious. The pair were moving slower and slower, and Tava more focused and intent by the minute. Loria stopped to concentrate on the upcoming sacrifice, to commune with the spirit in the water, but felt lightheaded and feverish with impatience. She could feel the stench streaming off the slough. The spirit was ready for the sacrifice. This was the moment of decision. Loria lurched forward to push her covet into the evil Moorish. She wailed in rage as she lost her footing and tumbled into the ground instead. This is no time for mistakes. Kill her, she muttered angry to herself. Laura tried to push herself upright, but her arms wouldn't hold her, and she smacked into the ground. Her cry of anger turned into a ghastly moan as she splewed mud over the muddy bank of the slough. Tava straightened and her eyes flashed in the dimming light. She stood over Loria, smiling, watching her companion cough up her life. Do you feel ill, cousin? She asked lightly. I thought I ate all the poison she left hard. Loria spasmed punched. Do you think I'm as stupid as our victims? I knew you were trying to kill me. Tava chuckled and kicked her cousin in the side. Loria convulsed briefly and a fresh gout of blood trickled towards the water. The pigeons brought back more than news. They brought plague. One of them rolled in a corpse and brought it back. Contaminating the food was simple. A little dollop of power and some of the live birds were infected. I nearly laughed when you were so careful to keep your food separate from mine. Tara turned to the slough and breathed the fetid air deeply in preparation for her dark communion. She couldn't resist one more taunt. How did I avoid the poison? I swallowed it all. I just took care to swallow the last of the oil from the dove coat. It coated my stomach and my intestines. Everything I ate is neutralized, or will just pass through. Tava looked at the water and saw the blood vanish below the surface. She could feel dark waves of energy flowing up the stream of blood to her cousin's body. Loria retched weakly and died. Time to finish the sacrifice, Tava gloated and stepped into the water. Yes, whispered the spirit, and the surface broke in front of her. It was wilted, and water had not been kind. Withered eyes looked at her, and flesh peeled off in great strips as it moved towards her. Tave's shriek had turned to one. The water and mud gripped her in lakes, and her progress slowed as she moved to the shore. But she still had the strength and speed to outrun a dead man. Tavra raced past her dead cousin, but Winton cast his bolas, as he had a thousand times in his life, and she fell hard. The bolas wrapped her legs, and she dragged herself forward with her hands, tearing into the stony ground. She couldn't catch her breath, curled up in pain. 
She glanced back and saw Winton bleeding over Loria, his rotting hands tangled in Loria's blue dress as he dragged her into the shallows. Even as she caught her breath, she still crawled, moving towards the hut for a knife to free herself. By the time she reached the gut cut, her legs were burning with such pain that she could only thrust her body into the dark interior in a futile attempt to hide. She lay alone with the plague-ridden bodies of birds. She had killed everything in the ceremony to corrupt the pigeons she fed to Loria. Teva touched her legs and cried out as she felt the barbs and jagged edges of the bolas that tied her limbs. She could pell her, smell her legs putrefying as poisoned disease from the slough devoured her. She would never escape now. Teva wept. All the cousins had done, and she had heard, was heard by something else. Their plans to leave were understood by what had escaped Ebenezer's skull. The spirit of the water decided two sacrifices would serve it better. Teva clapped her hands to her head and tried to shout out readily, but even though her moans of pain, she could hear unsteady footsteps. Wimpton's possessed and rotten body wove down the path. She tried to remember the prayers against the dead, but prayers were lost to her. She cursed the spirit, Loria, and herself, as the door cracked open. Teva remembered all the pigeons she had drowned over the years, and shuddered as Winston began to drag her to the slough. That was Dark Water by Vance Moore. Thanks for listening, um, and we'll be back in the next one for more. Thanks. <laughs>